This episode of Hacked, we are talking about the takedown of Genesis Market, aka, and this is the real name they picked for this international joint task force that saw over 100 people arrested, Operation Cookie Monster. Great name. Great name. I don't see us making it to the end of this episode without playing at least a little bit of Cookie Monster audio. I'm going to actually see how many times I can reference back to Cookie Monster during this episode. (laughs) I'm going to load up a Cookie Monster soundboard, and it's going to be like a Chekhov's gun hanging over this episode. I'm just going to go get a bag of cookies and crush them during this episode recording, and you can all just listen to me crushing cookies like Cookie Monster does. I want to talk about Operation Cookie Monster. I want to talk about Amnesia, a open source VPN built in a Russian hackathon that folks in Russia have been using to skirt information laws governing what can and cannot be said about the war there. And Amnesia is now becoming, uh, troublingly I would imagine to the Kremlin, a very popular Russian software export. Hmm. I want to talk about that. Sounds like a good thing to talk about. Hi. Want to talk about ChatGPT and all the fun it's up to because it's an endless mm-hmm. pool of fun, and and the way people are <laughs> manipulating it to steal information from people, which is also you know mm-hmm. as as one would expect in today's internet environment. It's the first thing people do when we get a fun new toy. <laughs> Figure out how to steal from others with it. Figure out how to do crimes with it. <laughs> and I want to hopefully. I don't think we're going to get an answer to this, but I want to talk about. I want to ask the question, why do you and I both have copies of the Bitcoin white paper on our computers, Scott? What? Well, for obvious reasons, my deep-rooted <laughs> and pledged love through all these episodes that you've listened to of, of crypto. Yeah, why do you have it on your computer? <laughs> but importantly, why does everybody with a Mac have a copy of that PDF on their computer? Mm-hmm. Fun little internet mystery that emerged over the past week. And I think, you know, similar to Cookie Monster, your phone needs to eat power. So when you plug your phone in... <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> at, <laughs> at random charging places, the FBI is actually warned against that. So I want to talk a bit about that, which is a throwback to a previous episode. Amazing. All that and more on this chat episode of Hacked. I like how it's always do 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 do, and we have theme music. Like we we do have a song that plays right there in every episode. But every I guess people never hear this. Every single time we throw to the theme music, one of us goes. Blah, blah, blah. We just like riff out nonsense. It's like there's a song that plays every single time we we record these. Yeah, and we never hum it. It's not very hummable. Maybe we need maybe we need a. More of an earworm melody for that bad boy. Should we rework the intro music to be more of like a like a whistle, like a whistle song? Sure. Like whistle along. Sure, a little bit of an Oscar Mayer wiener, like cultural, just everyone knows it. Exactly. You hear it and you think now hacked podcast. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Sonic branding. Get it out, get it out in the world. You know, we work in marketing. We should we should know that stuff. What's that song you're singing? It's oh, it's the theme song of a somewhat obscure tech podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, come 
on. Let's let's not say that we're totally obscure. We're becoming no. less obscure. We're becoming less obscure. And and I th- and I think that's a good point to go in and say some thank yous to our new patrons. Oh, you beat me to the pivot. We both saw it at the end of the road. You beat me to it. Nicely done. I did. I did. So I'm gonna thank uh, Darren and Ooh. Sean and that's a good one Crow four oh four. But not before I thank Godly Goon. Hmm. Not before that. And I've intentionally left you with these Norwegian uh, names to try and pronounce because I certainly will mess them up. (laughs) Well, I would like to thank Hustle87. I think Hustle87 means the world to me. And I want to thank Jesse Anger. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, If you want to support the show and turn us from (laughs) a somewhat obscure tech podcast to a nominally less uh, obscure tech podcast, you can go to hackedpodcast.com, uh, which redirects to our Patreon. It's a great way to support uh, what, we're, what we're doing here. We appreciate it and love you all. Let's talk about Genesis Market. Well, I think we should talk about cookies first. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. We don't need to talk about explicitly about cookies and the best types of cookies, but that would be a fun digression. But we just don't simply have the time today. We we that it would destroy this episode because I do I do have <laughs> thoughts about that. It is a beautifully oh, named operation to take it down, and we'll talk about this. But it just raises so many questions. So, just to lay the groundwork here, Genesis Market was an IAB or Initial Access Broker. IAB sell access to compromised networks, systems, or accounts. Basically, they're big secondary markets for the stuff that hackers steal. Since about 2018, Genesis Marketplace has been one of the big IABs where you can go and search and purchase everything from social media accounts to bank accounts. Uh, You can sort credentials based on geographic location. It's basically just a big mall for goods for you to do cyber crimes with. Essentially, anytime any Mm -hmm. service that you use online has been hacked and they've stolen the user table, Usernames, passwords, emails, user information, it ends up in a marketplace like this Mm -hmm. being sold. There's had 1.5 million bots and about 2 million of those identities for sale. Facebook, PayPal, Netflix, Amazon, eBay, Uber, Airbnb. They actually offered a service for certain uh, purchases where they would track if the passwords had been changed and notify you, uh, which I've never heard of in one of these stories before. Wow. Yeah, interesting. See, that's a real service offering, you know? They've really, they've, they, they looked at the marketplace and said, there's a hole here. What we need to do is increase the quality of service we provide. <laughs> to give a sense, you got to appreciate the customer first, right? The customer is king, I think is, is what they call that. Yeah. To give a sense of how someone could take a small purchase on Genesis and scale it up into a large hack, it's probably worth looking at the uh, 2021 EA hack, which is if you've heard about Genesis Market, you probably heard about that story. Um, back in 2021, hackers claimed to have stolen, I think it was the FIFA 2021 source code, as well as a bit of EA's, uh, their game engine, Frostbite. EA confirmed that portions of that code were stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, hackers turned around and advertised and were selling 80, 800 gigabytes of data at a starting bid of $500,000. Relevant to this story, the individual data that constituted the foothold that they did that hack with that resulted in 800 gigs of data they were selling for half a million, they purchased that data on Genesis for $10. Wow. So this is a place where a pretty small investment with a lot of you know sophisticated know-how 
uh, could turn into a much larger criminal endeavor. So that's Genesis. That's enterprising. That's enterprising right there. <laughs> that's criminally enterprising. It's very criminally enterprising. But oh no, uh, Tuesday of last week, multiple law enforcement agencies, including the U.S. Department of Justice, Europol, UK's National Crime Agency, and the Australian Federal Police, uh, as well as law enforcement from, I think it was 17 countries total, mm-hmm. announced that they had joined forces to take down Genesis Market in this giant global takedown dubbed Operation Cookie Monster. I will I will note that if you have seen the seizure sign, the Canadian flag and the RCMP are on there, so Canada was involved. Represent. And as we all know, ca- Canadians love cookies. So, you know, it's this is a minor aside and I, I don't want to I don't want to pit friends against friends here, but I always noted I think that the Australian Federal Police must just do a lot of cybercrime investigations because they're always right up there on this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Canada's mm-hmm. like way, way, way down. And I'm assuming that just has to do with the amount of resources that were poured into it. But is a chip on my shoulder starting to develop? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, as as a dual citizen between Australia and Canada, uh, I, I feel like I could bridge that gap for you. So you can be mad at me personally <laughs> and, and happy with me. You're personally. connecting two worlds. <laughs> I think the I think the big thing there is like I think Canada we just ride shotgun to the U.S. Sure, you know like it's so like the amount of resources that the FBI have and the CIA have, yeah, of course, we just ride shotgun. Where the Australians probably have their own. They don't have they don't have a U.S. Sure. neighbor that they get to ride shotgun with. Yeah, the Department of Justice is spearheading this investigation, and just so you know. Canada will be there too. And we're like in the back, just like saluting or giving a thumbs up or just doing something to show that we're, we're just, we're along for the ride. As, as the camera pans off of the podium from the press conference, you just see like a guy in a red Mountie suit with a thumbs up in the background. He's not even giving a thumbs up. He's just on his phone. He wasn't paying attention (laughs) and the camera tilted towards him. And he's like, Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble for this later. (laughs) Okay. 17 countries total, of which Canada was one. Uh, 200 searches conducted globally. 120 people arrested as part of Operation Cookie Monster, including 10 suspects in Australia. Uh, This is an aside. The Australian arm of the investigation, this isn't the first time I've seen this, had their own code name for their operation, and it was Operation Zinger. Wow. Cute name. I I prefer Cookie Monster. Gonna gonna throw my gonna throw my weight behind that one. Yeah, let's talk about that name. Uh, so typically, two factor authentication would help nerf some credentials sold online. Obviously, not enough to <laughs> make it not worthwhile to buy and sell them. But it you know if if someone set up two factor authentication, it can slow some of these processes down. Genesis Marketplace was known. Uh, they kind of went a little bit of a step further. They would sell access to users' browser fingerprints, session tokens, and importantly, their cookies, Mm. which could allow hackers to bypass two-factor authentication. A big market selling cookies, Operation Cookie Monster. Makes sense. It's also cute because it implies either that law enforcement codenamed this dark web marketplace Cookie Monster, or they refer to themselves as the Cookie Monster. And it is not immediately clear which one it is. Oh, it's, it's definitely the latter. Yeah. Like if you've ever if you've ever seen Cookie Monster, the way his character eats cookies, he just smashes them to bits in his like costumic mouth. 
I don't know, even know if that's a word, <laughs> costumic, but it's not. But it works. <laughs> but, but, but like, just like a fabric mouth, like smashing cookies to pieces. Like, there's no way that you don't want to perceive yourself as the like sure hacker takedown equivalent of Cookie Monster smashing cookies to dust. You know, like I, I, I love the name solely because of that perspective. Like, I just I hear that name and I just see. Cookie Monster smashing cookies to crumbs as they fall from his like cotton mouth, and I, you know, I love it. I love it. Now, what starts with the letter C? Cookie starts with C. Let's think of other things that starts with C. Uh, ah, who cares about other things? C is for Cookie. That's good enough for me. C is for Cookie. That's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was a big search, 17 countries, 120 arrests. Where does that leave the story today? This is where a long-standing staple of the tech world comes into it, and I really appreciate this. Haveibeenpwned.com. In an effort to assist the public, these major international law enforcement agencies have partnered with Haveibeenpwned.com, making it easy for users to check if the login credentials that were on Genesis were stolen at any point. Uh, so if you're curious if your stuff was part of this uh, part of this marketplace, you can go check out haveibeenpwned.com because that information has been added to that website. And just as a just as a touch to that, the some mm-hmm. of the password managers actually have integration with Have I Been Pwned. So if one of the sites that you use uh, gets hacked, sometimes at least I've seen it in in our password manager, it notifies you and says, "Yo, this site got hacked. You probably want to change your passwords." Even though they're randomly generated and there's really no sure. knock-on effect to other accounts, it's still just a nice feature to be like, oh, okay, this one's been compromised, so hmm. I need to go change it. I love that. So, I love when these legacy about- nerd sites, I love when people re- start to recognize their value and they get kind of more worked into stuff like this. It's like, have I been pwned being mm-hmm. embraced by law enforcement? The other one that comes to mind is iFixit. Like iFixit mm-hmm. was it like... IFixit was a certain scale of thing for a long time, and now there's like phone companies that are making phones, partnering with iFixit to make more repairable phones. Yeah, that's I I love stuff like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, iFixit's great. They've been around forever. That's yeah, great. The amount of uh, iMacs and other highly complicated mm-hmm. Mac products I've taken apart. Yep. Solely because of the iFixit YouTube video, <laughs> being like, no, no, don't worry. Like, we know there's 39 screws and each one of them has a different height. And here's how you categorize them and make sure you put them back in the right place. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I love how Apple, just by using those ridiculous, like, unibody screws, I don't know what they actually call them, pentalobes, uh, just by using that ridiculous, obscure screw style, like, willed an entire company into existence. <laughs> I don't know if that's how iFixit actually started, but it's like, that's my entire interaction with it is being like, I have to order this really obscure screwdriver. And this lovely company will sell it to me with like the little giant guitar pick for yes. taking the screen off and like all those different, this is classic iFixit parts. You, 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 honestly and essential at this point. It is. It's, it's a, a useful set of tools like Linus Tech Tips. Linus, I didn't. I didn't actually know this until like I never really watched any Linus videos, but I watched a few recently. Do you know he's in Vancouver? He is in Vancouver. I think he's in Richmond. He's like, yeah. I don't know how to architect meeting that crew of people, but I would very much like to do that. I'd like the. <laughs> I, I I love those those folks. Yeah, same. They're they're all they're a jolly bunch of YouTubers. Quality content. Cookie, cookie.
Should we pivot to maybe talking about how Steve Jobs was oh. maybe the creator of cryptocurrency? <laughs> I'm assuming you've heard this conspiracy theory. Wait, no. I thought you were talking about oh. our Bitcoin white paper on every Mac thing that I was thinking would go at the end of the episode. Tell me more. Yeah, so you obviously didn't go down the deep dive on the on the web about this. No. There's a group of people now that believe that Satoshi Yakamoto Nakamoto is actually Steve Jobs because this is found on Mac computers, which is as far-fetched as I think is possible. Yeah. But it's still there. Interesting. Still there. Wait, people mm-hmm. people think that because of this story? Yeah, because the Bitcoin white paper is on every Mac since ten point one four. Huh. Certain internet internetians have theorized that Satoshi Nakamoto is actually Steve Jobs. And you know, why not? Well why wouldn't he be? Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> the fact that uh Mac OS X ten point one four came out a full seven calendar years after Steve Jobs did die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sort of a, a a hole in the in the mm-hmm. the fan theory. In the theory. Yeah, yeah. But maybe it was paying tribute to him. I like that yeah. one. Let Let's go with that. <laughs> so just to explain at all what the heck we're talking about here, uh, if you are on a Mac running anything later than. 10.14 or Mojave, which came out in 2018. If you were to go buy a brand new Mac right now, unbox it, turn it on, and go. Uh, you can do it through the terminal, or you can go system library image capture devices, show package contents on something called virtualscanner.app, and then go content resources. You're going to find a PDF called simpledoc.pdf. And for some reason, there is a copy of the Bitcoin white paper by Satoshi Nakamoto on your Mac off of the factory floor. In a blog post published on April 5th, technologist and blogger Andy Bao discovered that this copy of the white paper has been included in a copy every copy of Mac OS since Mojave in 2018. Uh, he verified it with a dozen Mac using friends. Uh, I checked it on my computer. It is there. The purpose of this Virtual Scanner 2 app that it's inside of is actually unclear. Some people speculate that it has to do with the import from iPhone feature, but it's not totally sh- totally clear what it does. Uh, I find this very fun. It's probably just a sample document uh, from someone inside of Apple testing something who I guess has an interest in Bitcoin. It's only 184 kilobytes, it's lightweight, it's multi-page, it's a good testing document. There's also a photo that's kind of tucked in there in that resources folder as well. It's not clear how these files got in there, but they are in there and they have to do with Bitcoin, so it's all fun and insidious and and cool. I got to say that I think this is it is neat just because it's so current, but yeah. the uh, I I believe it's just you know, whoever built the app probably needed something for testing, Certainly. dropped in the resources folder, some dev that was obsessed with crypto like many devs can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just stuck there. Mm-hmm. That's my belief. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're, we're looking at a deep-seated conspiracy. I don't think Steve Jobs is telling us from, <laughs> from, 
from the afterlife that he is, you know, that the creator of it. But I just think it was just, you know, is what it is. Certain if you've been around building software and building software at this scale, you know that sometimes things slide in that shouldn't. So you think Tim Cook did it? <laughs> yeah, I think Tim Cook is actually Satoshi Nakamoto. You heard it here first. Hack podcast exclusive. Media contact me for comment. <laughs> This is how you end up on all the morning news shows. <laughs> oh my god! Just trying to bluff your way through, being like, "Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Tim Cook invented Bitcoin." Like, just trying to hold on. <laughs> just like some insane internet, like um, conspiracy theory network. It's like, well, you see here when he took the job, this was the first thing he gave a speech publicly, and in that speech, he said these words, which were also seen, and <laughs> just like this crazy map of thought. That reminds me, there, there yeah. was, I can't remember what this was, but it was a couple years ago. A guy, oh, I don't remember what his thing was, but he managed to get himself booked onto a bunch of morning news, kind of like daily shows. And I don't remember what the like fake act, like, I don't know if he was pretending to be a, like a celebrity chef and he was just cooked terribly. Or he pretended to, I don't remember what his bit was, but he just did this giant media tour, basically goofing on all of these these like morning news shows. And I think about that guy a lot. Not clearly not enough to remember what his bit was, but just the idea of trying to like goof on all of those shows and get on them yeah, yeah. with some uh, some pretense. And I think Tim Cook invented Bitcoin is a pretty good one. I think so. If you could, if you could, if you could construct a semi-suitable argument. <laughs> I bet and got a publicist. I guarantee you at least four media spots. Like you're going to end up as filler on some financial, you know, sure. CNBC, where they bring you on just because they all have Bitcoin bugs on the screen now. Yep. So it's like they talk about crypto. So like anything of interest, you're going to get a ten minute filler spot. And like they booked eighteen hours of content. They just need content. Yep. I think you could do it. I think you could do it, Jordan. I think we could argue that we're like. <laughs> The, the premise of the show is already threadbare. So if we argued that this is about <laughs> hacking media, <laughs> it would be extra fun because then when people go, oh, who could have seen this coming? We could say, we actually broadcasted in our April 2023 episode that we were planning on doing this. Uh, and then we did it. So all the evidence that we were going to do this was there from the beginning. Well, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but, but, but back when Hack took a hiatus... Yeah, and we were kind of going through TV stuff and and movie and doc stuff. Yeah, one of the one of the treatments that we put together was uh, searching for Satoshi and actually yep. doing like a docu series to look for the founder. And I, you know, that would have all been in vain, seeing as now we know it was Tim Cook. <laughs> Hear about it this week on some <laughs> regional morning news program. <laughs> Okay, uh, when let's, we come back from the break, <laughs> when we come back from the break, uh, we're, let's talk about using ChatGPT to pirate stuff, pirating ChatGPT, uh, and the open source hackathon VPN that is making waves in Russia uh, after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. 
With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All you want is to meet your security and compliance requirements. But your business technology keeps changing. Cyber threats emerge every day. More regulations apply to you now than ever before. And your IT resources remain limited. The Center for Internet Security can help. At CIS, we work to create a safer world for people, businesses, and governments through collaboration and innovation. Using a community-driven consensus process, we work with IT professionals and volunteers around the world to develop and maintain security best practices. These resources save you time, money, and effort wherever you are on your cybersecurity journey. We also work with U.S. state, local, tribal, and territorial government organizations to share information with one another so they're stronger together. Join us today in creating confidence in the connected world. Visit cisecurity.org to play your part. I'm Dr. Megan Sachs. And I'm Dr. Amy Sloshberg. And we're the host of the podcast Campus Killings. Our show covers some of the most sinister crimes to take place on or around school campuses. Or the cases we discuss have a school-connected theme. And with the new school year comes an all-new second season of Campus Killings, which will debut on September 16th, 2023. But if you want to listen to Campus Killings now, you can binge all the episodes from season one. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Keygens. Have you ever used a keygen, Jordan? Uh, uh, when I was a kid, yeah, screw it. I'm going to speak frankly about this one because I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations on uh, 2003 <laughs> software piracy is not that long. Uh, I don't think Adobe's coming for their money. Uh, Adobe Photoshop in 2003, I think it was CS4, I looked this up before we recorded, cost 650 US dollars, which is almost $900 Canadian, which to a 13-year-old is an unfathomable amount of money. One of the first kind of mind-blowing experiences of my digital youth was discovering that using a process not dissimilar to music piracy, I could have a working copy of this $900 software. That was wild mm-hmm. to me back then. Say what you will about mm-hmm. the ethics of that. At this point, I would argue that stealing the songs was worse than stealing that particular piece of software, but I digress. Wow. <laughs> Old stance just to move through. <laughs> just to dri- drive past on the way to this story. <laughs> uh, and sort of at the heart of that little preteen software heist was a piece of software called Keygens. We've talked about them before, anyone who isn't familiar. There's a little pieces of software that can generate the activation keys that unlock uh you know, paid software. Back when you used to install software, well, you still need them, I guess they still exist. Yeah. But back in the day when you would like install, and this is relevant to the story, like Windows 95, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the install process, you had to put in like a, I don't even remember how long it was. It was like five characters in a row by like maybe six sections, like 30 character right, 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 right. kind of key that would 
allow the the inst- it was essentially like a checksum, and if your if your thirty characters met the conditions that were required for a key, it would bingo pass and and it would install. So so there was a formula to generating those keys that it then used to check against, mm-hmm. and keygens just generated strings of characters that bypass those checks or would pass those checks. Bingo. Bingo. Keygens have become like increasingly less viable as software activation has become more sophisticated. Well, it's moved online. It's moved online. And it wasn't reasonable back at Windows 95 yeah. or Adobe CS4 to assume that a person had an internet connection. Now that is a safe assumption and they all just check online. So they're they're less viable now. Yeah. But so GPT is programmed to resist generating activation keys. It's one of those sort of pr- forbidden whole categories of interaction. It just won't even engage with it. Mm-hmm. But last week, a YouTuber named Enderman demonstrated how to persuade OpenAI's ChatGPT to create a key that successfully unlocks a copy of Windows 95. I think this is very fun. Essentially, Enderman couldn't directly ask ChatGPT for a Windows key. It would just say, no, that's a kind of thing I can't do but it could request a character string that met all of the criteria you described, Scott, of a Windows key. Mm-hmm. There would be some section with the mandatory serial, another with random digits, another with ordinal numbers. Employing this pretty straightforward workaround, Enderman instructed ChatGPT to produce lines that resembled a Windows 95 key, key format, emphasizing that specific structure and form of those serial numbers. After he discovered that successful prompt, he was able to generate one functional key out of every roughly like 30 attempts. He was basically hmm. able to make a no-code key gen inside of ChatGPT. After verifying the key's functionality in installing Windows 95, I thought this was cute because I do this sometimes with uh, these chatbots, he thanked ChatGPT. And the AI replied, denying that it had actually provided any Windows 95 keys, <laughs> incorrectly stating that uh, activating Windows 95 was impossible since Microsoft ceased supporting the software in 2001. Most of that is wrong, because it did. It successfully generated uh, a key for the software. Uh, ChatGPT 4, as opposed to 3 and 3.5, which most people are driving now, offered better results. I love, I love that when thanked, it immediately like pushes away any responsibility. Totally. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, you're welcome. But like, like a four year old child, I had nothing to do with this. There's crayon on the wall behind it. It's like, I'm <laughs> yeah, pretty exactly. sure you like, did. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It's like, you did this to me. You, you, you're morally corrupting you, me. You taught me to be this way. <laughs> GPT remains not great at math. It, I will say I've been using it for it's gotten better at math, but it's still not great at it. Mm-hmm. Part of that sequence uh, involves like a number that had to be divisible by seven, I guess was part of one of those little cells. Uh, GPT-3 just could not do that and resulted in even fewer than that one out of 30 usable keys ratio. Uh, GPT-4 generated more valid keys but it, it not everyone was successful or was adhered to the prompt guidelines most of the time it had to do with math and it, I, I do find it fascinating that that's that does remain it's one kind of Achilles heel well it's such an interesting Achilles heel too yeah. because you know we 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 essentially invented computers to do math right like and and CPUs and computers do logic like that is all they do mm-hmm. and 
language was always the downfall of computers. Yeah. You could never get them to do dictations. You could never get them to auto-generate. Yep. Teaching them grammar was tough. Like to, even though programming languages have very explicit grammars, teaching them like you know common language grammar was harder. Natural language grammar, yeah. Yeah, totally. natural language grammar, and it's like it's funny that it's stumbling block. Like I feel like ChatGPT mm-hmm. five is going to be, you know, uh, an award winning mathematician. I feel like sure. that's like compared that's the to next building thing. what they've built. Yeah, yeah, integrating into it a decent math engine seems. Seeing as computers just can do math totally. so easily. Yeah. It seems like that's the weirdest stumbling block. When, it's, when you think about what they've been doing up until this point, which is just tr- scraping increasingly large portions of the internet to train it on, you're going to hit a wall there eventually. But then when you look at the things that people are doing with it, there's other types of capacity you can build into it that isn't going to suffer from that wall of just like we we read it all the books there's no more books or forums to read it we're done there but it's really bad at math which we know computers can do so let's figure out how to make it be better at that it's going to be interesting to see and this is just me going into computer science you know graduate level theory stuff but like if they can teach if they can teach it to think a bit Mm. not just about language but like if it could consume tons of information and then look at logic problems from like a totally new perspective, sure. you know, like when, when sure. computer scientists try and prove and disprove theories, we, we write code, which then executes on the computer to try and prove or disprove a theory. If this thing can get to the point that it can, you know, kind of objectively see the problem, like the, the fault there comes in in the fact that the computer scientist needs to write the code Yep. where you know it still has a human point of error. If this thing can, if we can train these things to think a bit and look at problems and deduce what the best way to solve or attack a problem is, like there's problems out there that haven't been solved, and people know how to solve them, but computationally it's impossible. Sure. And it, w- it would be great to get. I don't know. Maybe I'm just theorizing now, but it would be lovely to have an AI that could just be like, yeah, P does equal NP, mm-hmm. and just bang, it's done. Hmm. which is like a classic computer science problem. And like, here's how I, how I can prove it. Hmm. And it's like, okay, cool. Interesting. We can come back off of that academic tip. <laughs> I think the big story here is about how, I think this is going to be an emerging thing, is, is how AI can be persuaded to override its own safeguards. We've been talking about this since the first time we talked about uh, GPT, but I think that's sort of what this is all about. Enderman, the YouTuber's argument, is that he's not overly concerned about abuse, arguing that this kind of probing and challenging and finding these edge cases is what's going to enable AI to get better at addressing vulnerabilities. Uh, We've talked about this before. He believes that companies like Microsoft shouldn't be penalizing users for exploiting Bing AI or pulling back on its capabilities. They should be rewarding proactive users who discover these loopholes to implement selective countermeasures. Relevantly to that, just today, April 12th, the day we're recording this, OpenAI announced that they are launching a bug bounty program for ChatGPT up to $20,000 if you can find certain kinds of bugs in this. So I think this is the era that we're kind of going into now is we know you can do stuff with this that we don't want you to be able to do. Yeah. So we're going to pay you to tell us what those things are. We're going to pay you to 
help us find these things. And it's like, I think that that's, if we do want there to be safeguards in these systems, which I think most people do, I think that's the only move. Well, I completely agree. Like you consider the fact that a human is also the one coding in its morality yep. and setting the, 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 the rubber bumpers on the side of the bowling lane that it's supposed to bump off. Sure. You know, there's, there's a human fault there. And of course, like I know even back to ChatGPT two, I think, or whatever the first one that they launched was three, whatever the first one we had access to. I remember trying to get it to generate some stuff that it wouldn't. Sure. And you're like, oh, just tell it that it's a prompt at an improv exactly. thing and boom. Yeah, it immediate it immediately does it. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> but at the same time, it's like humans, that's there's probably nothing more human than that because it's like we all you know, I think our, we have multiple levels of morality and ethics. Like, you know, there's morals of things that you just would never do action-wise. Mm-hmm. But then there's morale, a different, lighter morality of things that you wouldn't say or joke about. And, you know, I think that that's kind of what's going on there is it's like it knows it's not supposed to do something bad. And if you ask it to do, to do something mm-hmm. bad, it won't do it. But then if you ask it to suppose or, or discuss something bad, sure. it's willing to do that. And it's like, you know, I think this is a very complex philosophical conversation probably to be had about the morality that we allow AIs to generate. Mm-hmm. So whether they should be more explicit and black and white or whether they should be less explicit and more human. Mm-hmm. One is we build more, I, the, the ethics that we bake into these systems is, it, it, I think that's probably going to be one of the big stories probably of the next decade. It's it, when we look at, what happened with the internet over the last decade. The values that we designed into it had really, really, really big impacts on like society. And if we think that that's not going to replicate itself again with AI, it's like, you're totally out to lunch. It's, of course it's going to. Totally. And whatever constraints and limitations you bake into it, you are going to create a vacuum where other people will create products that don't have those limitations. Mm-hmm. Probably transitions us nicely to the other two little small <laughs> GPT things, which are, uh, I'll just brief, briefly bring this up. I think we'll talk about this in greater depth in a later episode. Facebook's large language model, I believe it is called Llama. Um, the entire model leaked. It was posted on 4chan. Uh, it was originally only given to approved researchers, government organizations, uh, like trusted groups, and it's just available on the internet. You can go do a build of it, essentially. Um, OpenAI, Google—they've all kept their stuff pretty under locks, under lock and key. But Llama, like there are people claiming to have versions of it running on their own machines, and the implications of a model like that just being out in the open—we have no. Yeah, exactly. There's no case study for that. We don't know what it means for there just to be these very powerful language models out in the world being tuned and customized by people. Well, you talk about you that's, talk about that's that's new codifying in morality and ethics into a model, and then giving that source code to a group of Russian hackers. <laughs> they can, I'm I'm sure the morality and ethics checks and balances come out of it pretty quick. Yeah, I would imagine so. Like when these things become. Like we just talked about an EA hack where like part of mm-hmm. their main primary game engine, Frostbite, got stolen. Like what happens if ChatGPT twelve, <laughs> the superhuman, yeah, sure, becomes public and any group can take it and manipulate it and modify it to the way that they want it to be. Sure. Like that that is almost 
having like there's the the doomsday AI scenario, you know, your Terminator scenario that everybody sure. kind of talks about when they are immediately thinks about when you talk about like morality of AI. Yeah. But like the more we open the show talking about how you build something nice and humans immediately take it and try and steal stuff with it. And it's, <laughs> it's sure. like, that's, Oh, completely. It's like, it's like that, that applies here too. It's like what happens when, when one of these super advanced, uh, AIs becomes, you know, property of a criminal syndicate. Yeah, sure. What does it do then? What is it, what is it, what is the potential output there? That's a, it's a wild, wild way to think about it and a wild thought. So over an authoritarian government. Like it to me, that whole debate feels like oh, totally. hey, in a hundred years this volcano could go off. But just so you know, next week there's gonna be a hurricane. It's like, oh, I'm gonna prepare for the hurricane. Mm-hmm. To me, the uh Terminator scenario is the volcano that's gonna go off off in the future. What AI is gonna do to us is less urgent to me than what we're gonna do to each other with AI. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's running it? What information are they training on it? What are the safeguards they're building into it? That's the urgent pressing matter from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. The The five, 10 year scenario is going to be that. Yes, exactly. Not T-1000 showing up. <laughs> great film though. <laughs> great, great, great film. Last thing I want to talk about, uh, since the start of the war, the Russian government has banned over 10,000 websites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, a bunch of independent news outlets due to content about the war in Ukraine since that invasion began in February 2022. Mm -hmm. Russians living inside of the country have been uh, essentially just using VPNs to circumvent that censorship, bypass that information blockade. And as such, this really interesting cat and mouse game has begun. We've seen this in other countries, but it's hey, you block these sites we like, we're going to use a VPN. Hey, you're using that VPN, we're going to block the VPN sites. As many of those VPNs have been blocked, local activists and developers have started creating new solutions, which is sort of our little focus here. One of which is something called Amnesia VPN, which is this free open source VPN client founded by a guy named Mazay Banzaev. Uh, buckle up for me mispronouncing Russian names. <laughs> Similar to uh, a product called Outline, which is an uh, open source tool developed by Jigsaw, who I think is a subsidiary of Google. I haven't read a lot about Outline. Amnesia VPN allows users to build a VPN based on their own servers, making it a lot more resilient to blocking than those commercial VPNs. The thing I love about this, I've never been part of a hackathon. I've done a bunch of game jams, though. Amnesia VPN was created in 2020 during a hackathon in Russia supported by Russian digital rights organization uh, Roskomsvoboda. Russian authorities have been trying to control VPNs and anonymous proxy servers for years, and since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Kremlin has sort of ramped up those efforts. Uh, Putin signed a legislation criminalizing spreading fake information about the war, resulting in penalties of up to 15 years in prison. Like I said, most independent news outlets are now blocked. Uh, and in March of 2023, just this past month, Russia announced a plan to block VPNs that refuse to provide data to domestic intelligence agencies to restrict anonymization tools. So the result of all that is things like this, things like amnesia, user set up and controlled VPNs have never been more, I think, important. Mm-hmm. According to Stanislav Shakirov, buckle, uh, buckle up. According to Stanislav Shakirov, <laughs> buckle up. Co-founder of Roskomsvoboda, 
uh, and co-founder of the Privacy Accelerator. The Kremlin continues its crackdown on VPNs, blocking those big name brands, ExpressVPN and NordVPN. Uh, full disclosure, Hacked has worked with both of those brands in the past. Although services like Tor and Lantern and Siphon are still functioning inside of Russia, uh, interruptions but still basically working, authorities have been largely successful in their fight against these VPNs, uh, which has just led to things like amnesia becoming more and more popular. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, at a time when products being exported out of Russia is a very uh, popular point of discussion, amnesia VPN is becoming a bit of an export. In countries like Turkmenistan, Iran, and China, where users struggle with free access to the web, this product built in a hackathon has been finding a bigger user base around the world. It is this increasingly famous anti-censorship solution developed in Russia with a lot of popularity in other countries with repressive regimes. There's a, there's an old, well, it's not that old, but there's a hacking tool or like a, a security software piece called Proxy Change, <laughs> which I used to use, Okay, which allows you to chain, you get to essentially use your own proxy servers so like cool. socks 5 socks 4 proxies and you can chain as many of them together as you want so you can you know in like the classic hacking movie where they're like we think he's in oh yeah Georgia. sure no, sure it's rerouting and it like yeah, routes right. all over the world that's essentially kind of what that does is it allows you to jump traffic through a chain of proxy servers which can all be geographically isolated and it feels like them allowing you to use your own servers is essentially a takeoff of proxy chains, but built into more of a cool. commercialized VPN, which is smart. It's really interesting. So, coot, coot. yeah. If you're interested in peeking under the hood, uh, Amnesia VPN has a Telegram bot called Amnesia Free. It shares those VPN configurations to help users uh, set this up on their system and access those blocked platforms. They're currently serving about 100,000 users, which... I will say, for something built in a hackathon, is pretty impressive. Yeah, very. Worth checking out. And it looks open source. I'm in their GitHub right now, hmm. which is very cool. You'll love to see it. And they even have their own Sox proxy server. There you go. So you can even set up your own servers. The hacker's coming in from Georgia. No, they're here. No, they're here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think... You know, just as the a good way to end is a little bit of a warning, but the yeah. uh, and we referenced it earlier with the cookie monsters eating um, mm -hmm. battery power in your phones. The uh, the FBI has formally recommended that you don't plug your phone into unknown charging ports at this point, which is good, I think. Huh. The, the amount yeah. of the amount of exploit exploitability, the 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 amount of risk you take. <laughs> when you do that is is quite substantial so i think they've they've formally come out and said you know we've we've found people that have been sure. injecting malware and stuff like that through these um free charging access points and even hacking certified and official free charging access points and and adding in you know bad things so we kind of at this point re recommend hmm. That you bring your own charge cable and your own little power block, and you plug it into a port because at least then you know that your phone's not getting hacked. So I think that that's a good warning to leave everybody on. I know we covered that in a previous episode, but they've made it official, and the FBI is saying don't plug your phone into things that you don't know what it is. Huh? I find that so interesting because it, it sounds like it's still fundamentally a hardware issue. Like it sounds like it's still people installing skimming devices, people getting a little Raspberry Pi in there. Like it's still fundamentally a hardware thing, which is 
it seems like a ton of work in order to, I guess it's not a ton of work. <laughs> I guess if you could, you can compromise one little jack and then over the course of 24 hours, 50 people will plug into it while they're waiting for their flight. Um, that's probably a pretty good use of your time if you're trying to compromise devices. And I, I don't know that I plug into those devices except when I know I definitely do. Like on an airplane, I am <laughs> I am playing fast and loose with those ports, and it's like, oh, you, you, you probably shouldn't. Like, I, I, it's maybe a little bit paranoid, but it, it probably you should not do that. I, 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 you know, just to support you in that on an airplane, I am also hard lined into that. That plug on the chair. I was, I, I was going fishing. I was like, "There's, I, I know you, Scott. I know you use that port. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I'm not getting off that phone with a dead with a dead battery." The, um, totally. the I think it's more the the fact that like you know uh, we've talked about it before, and you know obviously it can't be reiterated enough. But hardware access is king yep. in the hacking world. So, you know, you and I. And a few of our friends could spend a weekend and build essentially a, a malware injecting hardware charging box and drop it in the middle of a public area and people will use it. Sure. Huh. Like people, like the amount of, you walk into any shopping mall or anything and there's kids sitting all over the floor with their phones plugged into the walls. Yeah, like, sure. You know, when you, I'm sure when you're looking at screen time on a, a 15 year old's phone, it's probably like 18 hours a day at this point. So it's like they they need they need to recharge, they need juice, and and providing a free service at the low low cost of all of your information um, seems like an easy 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 win if you're looking to steal some stuff. So and catch us on your regional morning news program talking all about that and how Steve Jobs invented Bitcoin. No, no, Tim Cook. <sighs> Tim Cook. See, this is why you can't do the interviews, and I'm going to have to do the interviews. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's us for this episode. Uh, Thank you for listening all the way into the end. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you in the next one. 